tonight we go to Romans 16, and again, the greatness of the word is simply amazing to me all the time, and it just turns me on and blesses my soul, and every time you work the word, I stand in utter amazement of it, and I've worked it a few times in a few years. I cannot understand why people just don't go to the Word, why the religious leaders, the church leaders, just don't go to the Word, because it's so simple, so accurate, and it would change a, each of a lot of things in their lives as well as our country if we just got back to the Word. I am not sure if I covered verse 16 of the 16th chapter of Romans in detail last week. Did I tell you that the sexes in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament period, sexes didn't intermingle like we do today? And it, I don't think I told you that according to the liturgical literature of that age from a, a so-called Jewish point of view, there were only three types of kisses that were permitted. And I, I didn't tell you that, huh? Well, bless your heart, I'm glad I saved something for core meeting tonight. There were three types of kisses permitted, but they were only among men. In other words, men didn't kiss women in public. I don't know what they did to them when they get them in bed, but, well, I know what they did to them in some sense, but uh, I don't know, but I know publicly what they did. Men kissed men. And there were three types of kisses among men. The first type is called the kiss of reverence. And that is, is still carried on today when people bow before the Pope and they kiss his ring. That's the kiss of reverence. When they bow at the feet of a bishop and they kiss the bishop's ring. In the Far East, like in India, the people would fall down prostrate in front of a religious leader and they would reach out to touch his feet. But if it was possible, if they could get close enough, they'd kiss his feet. That's the kiss of reverence. The second one was the kiss of receiving someone. Today we say, hi. But when two men would meet, and let's say I was receiving you, then I would kiss you on the cheek. It was not a kissing on the lips. That's the second category, the kiss of receiving. And the third category is the kiss of dismissal. Today we say goodbye. Except among Eastern people and some European people, here in the United States, the kiss among men has pretty well been replaced by handshaking, likewise with ladies uh, in our intermingled culture, outside of the way ministry, I guess. But the handshake that replaced the kissing of men 
that was in the European culture pretty well came to pass here in the United States because it's a Western introduction to shake hands. And the reason they would shake hands is so that the other fellow couldn't pull a sword or a gun on him. So we shake right hands and your right hand, you can't get to your sword. So that's one of the reasons for the handshake. So nobody can pull a gun on you or pull the sword on you. You can kiss someone, you can cut your heart out or something. But if you get him by the right hand and he can't pull his sword on you or pull his gun on you, that's Western culture. Sort of neat when you understand this culture business. Well, that's what that verse 16 in Romans 16 talking about. Salute one another with a holy kiss. And the churches of Christ salute you. Now verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. First of all, everybody in the core knows that the word doctrine means right teaching. Contrary to the right teaching, which you have learned. And they couldn't have learned it if somebody hadn't taught it to them. So the right teaching of the word was taught to them. I am sort of amazed that this warning, this word of warning here, comes at the close of the book of Romans. And yet I understand it in the light of its spiritual application. It's like in Acts 15 in some respects. Acts 15, verse 1 states, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And if you read chapter 13 and 14, you'll find out why Paul was so concerned about making a trip to Jerusalem. Because these men from Judea had crept in and they were teaching and just slyly leading people into questioning things about the circumcision. And finally, when they got them along far enough, they said, you sure you can be saved without being circumcised? So this word of warning in Romans 16, that I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them is truly significant. These people caused divisions and offenses. And secondly, the divisions and the offenses they cause are contrary to true teaching, to true doctrine. Division is the word Dicostasia, D-I-C-H-O-S-T-A-S-I-A. This word, Dicostasia, is a symptom, means a symptom. 
And if that symptom, when it starts, is not stopped, it will produce a division that's called schisma, another Greek word, S-C-H-I-S-M-A. This word here for division in verse 17 is not a schisma. It's only the introduction of a symptom which if it is not terminated will produce a schisma. And the word schisma, S-C-H-I-S-M-A, means a rent, R-E-N-T. Like if you would rent your clothes and break it apart this division, the word division here, does not arise from ignorance of not knowing the word or truth, but it is willful selfishness and back to the old man, fleshly weaknesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, In verse 3 it says, For ye are yet carnal, for where, whereas there is among you envying and what? And what? Divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? He says we are to mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the right teaching, doctrine, which ye have learned, and avoid them. The word divisions literally also means dissensions. And the word offenses, the word S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N, scandalon, Greek word from which we get our word scandal. They not only cause a scandal or a dissension, but they offend, and the word offend would be much more accurate if it were a stumbling block. And these are contrary to the doctrine of the love of God in the renewed mind, in manifestation without hypocrisy. Because all through Romans here, the Word of God has been showing us that there ought to be a unity among the body of believers. And yet there ought to be a liberty if you are not unlearned, if you are instructed, a liberty where the other believer has the right to make their own decision. And that we need to learn again. Because in so many places, the unity of the body is lost because they do not allow the liberty in custom. And thank God we've come far enough in the way of ministry to believe the word and to let our people do their custom according to the best intents of their heart and life as long as it isn't out of order with God's word, as long as it's decent and in order, 
You know, I don't care if you gals put your hair up or let it hang, whether the men, you know, whether they wear suits or ties or whether they have long hair or short hair. That's where the liberty is. And then you also have to allow the liberty to the immature believer that I've discussed in detail in previous weeks. You've got a young baby in the ministry. You shouldn't expect that young baby to walk as beautifully as you walk. So you have to just have the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation without hypocrisy. Therefore, it says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, contrary to it. The word contrary is the preposition para, P-A-R-A. Like you've known before, para, every preposition, has to be interpreted in the light of the usage of that word within the verse. Checked against context, you know all that stuff. And the word contrary here in verse 17 is the preposition para. The preposition para means alongside of. Has a unique usage in Galatians. Look at Galatians. Chapter 1 of Galatians. Verse 8 of Galatians 1. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The word than is the word para, meaning alongside of. You get the impact of that verse? He says, if an angel from heaven would preach any other gospel unto you that we have preached, which means put his gospel alongside of our gospel, let that one be what? That's the preposition para in Galatians 1.8. In Romans 1, it's also used. Romans 1.25. Since they changed the truth of God into a what? You see, remembering what you just read in Romans 16 and in Galatians, he's beseeching us to watch out. This 25, they change the truth of God into a lie. Then you no longer have right teaching. You no longer have true doctrine and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Worshiped and served the creature more, more than is the word para. Worshiped and served the creature alongside of the true Creator. This word contrary in Romans 
16 is that preposition and it really is significantly used offenses contrary to the right teaching doctrine divisions and offenses that run alongside of alongside of mathematically you'd think of it as parallels here's the truth of God's word and this word para their divisions and offenses run parallel to the right teaching right teaching here and their teaching is parallel Genesis 3 has this same problem you and I would not have any problem if it were an absolute denial of the true teaching. We have no problem with a direct frontal attack. But when it just sort of sneaks up on us, right alongside of the truth we have been taught, that is a danger which will become serious if not rectified. It is so much like the real truth. It is so much like the genuine truth. But it's just a shade off. That's the word contrary here. Para. I thought it is significant, and I know it is, in the book of Romans, that this preposition, para, along with other root words, is used three different ways in the book of Romans. Number one is to hear a side of. Number two is to step aside of and number three is to fall aside of before you can ever fall you have to what here and before you have you ever fall you have to take a step toward that you have to walk toward it else you could not what fall Adam and Eve the original fall could only be because they heard something alongside of and she took a step, remember, toward it because the adversary said, has God truly said, thou shalt not so insult. That's the order of progression of downfall among the church body, which we are given warning of here in the closing verses of this fantastic book of Romans. And these are not frontal attacks. They're just sort of sneaky attacks. They come right alongside of it, but they don't really look bad. To hear aside, the first one I gave you in the step downward to hear it, to listen to it alongside of, is the word parakoi. It is used in Romans 5, 19. 
to step aside of or alongside of is the Greek word parabasis. It's used in Romans 5.14, and I believe all of you baseball players, well, softball players will recognize what happens when you miss the base. Parabasis. If you're alongside of it, they'll tap you out. <laughs> That's right. They'll call you out. You got the word base from this word parabasis. The third Greek word meaning to fall aside is the word parapatoma, and it's used in Romans 5, 15, 16, 18, and 20. All four of those places. And of course, four is always indicative of a world number. And in order to fall aside, you have to go back to the world, the senses, and walk away from the great truth of God's word, the rightly divided word, the right doctrine. Contrary to the doctrine, two things are told us in that verse. Number one, mark them. And number two, avoid them. You mark the sly and succinct things that come alongside of the accuracy of God's word, you mark them by the right dividing of the word. If you have the right dividing of the word, right doctrine, true teaching, then when something comes alongside of it, no matter how good it looks, you check it against the word, right? And if it's a little bit off color, that is para, contrary. So you mark it. You mark it by right dividing of the word, and you avoid them. Avoid means turn away from. If they are off of the word at all, you don't get yourself taken in with it. You turn away from it. And people turn away from things by the freedom of their will. You either go down the drain or you stay put on the right dividing of the word. And in the close of this fantastic church epistle, the great foundational truth church epistle of all doctrine, he brings at the close of this this wonderful warning to watch those who introduce alongside of the truth of the purity of the greatness of God's word something that looks real exciting, real kosher, real reasonable, but it's a shade off. Watch it. Watch it. Mark it, and then you avoid it. Turn away from it. Because... Remember, we're dealing with the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation without hypocrisy. That is really hypocrisy because the love of God in the renewed mind is the pure love of God. This is false love when they introduce that. It's a false love. 
And many people who look religious, they'll say to you, well, you've got to be lenient with people. You've got to forgive them. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Or they'll say, oh, just let it go. That's the attitude they'll have. And they'll say, it'll pass. It's just one little phase in their life. No deal. Don't pay attention to it. The word of God says you better pay attention to it. You've got to mark them and you have to avoid them. You have to turn away. If they are off the word at all, very, very important. Then verse 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. The critical Greek texts do not have the word Jesus, and I did not take the time to look it up in Aramaic. I would assume, I said assume, that the word could be in Aramaic, the word Jesus. Any of you have an Aramaic? It's in there. I assume that. In between you and me, it ought to be there. I think Aramaic's right. But I gave you what the Greek texts do. But their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, what do they do? Deceive the hearts of the simple. Boy, you got to look up a few scriptures along this line here. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Boy, this stuff in here is real practical and real wonderful. And he's just winding this whole book up. And God had him put this in here right at the end so that if you have the great knowledge of the Word of God, saved by grace, by believing, law, you know, all that stuff we talked about, the Word talks about in the book of Romans, you've got that all really in your heart. Be careful, watch. Be careful. Mark those who come along and just slyly and succinctly parallel off something alongside that isn't quite it, but it looks real kosher. You've got to watch. Be sharp on the word. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false prophets. A false prophet would be one who would set something alongside of the word which is not really the what? The word. They are deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of whom? Verse 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed or changed into an angel of light. I've taught you time and time again that the genuine is so much like the counterfeit or the counterfeit like the genuine that you have to be a master in the field of the genuine to spot the counterfeit. Now, in the financial field, they, you know that's true, but it's more true in the spiritual field. And there just is a fantastic lack of the accurate knowledge of God's Word, so the counterfeit has gone unnoticed. As a matter of fact, Many times the counterfeit has been accepted as the truth of God's word because of tradition. 
that has passed it on without people checking the word. Take four crucified with Jesus. How come we weren't taught the accuracy of it? Because they didn't go back to what? The word. The word, people. Jesus Christ died on Good Friday. Got up Easter Sunday morning. We've all been taught this. Counterfeit. It's run alongside of the word, but someplace that which ran alongside of, which was contrary to the word, was believed as the word. And the true word was no longer held to. Believe. First Timothy chapter six, verse three. If any man teach otherwise and agrees not to the wholesome word, the true word, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, the right believing, which is according to godliness, he's a fool, he's proud, not knowing, but acting as a fool about questions, about strifes of words, whereof cometh e envy, strife, railings, evil thoughts, surmising. Verse 5, carefully. Perverse misleadings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute without the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, avoid. Titus, chapter 1, verse 10, for there are many unruly, vain talkers, that means slick dudes and deceivers, especially they of what? Whose mouths must be stopped. And they didn't stop them early enough, therefore they overthrew whole households, teaching things with the, which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for gain's sake. Back to Romans 16. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. The word serve here, to the best of my ability, core, means they refuse to serve. For they are such who refuse to serve. They refuse to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. But they serve their own what? Belly. Serve their own belly. Means their own selves. Their own vanity, their own egotism. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Good words means smooth talkers 
smooth talkers who use insinuating words, words that have a tendency to cause you to doubt. They just don't come right out and they say it, but they imply it by what they say to make you doubt. Genesis, has God really said, thou shalt not remember? Didn't come right out and say it, but the implication was there to get you to doubt. That's the, these words, good words in 18. These are men, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ by their own belly, and by good words, they act real cool and sharp. They look real good, but they're sly. That's para alongside of, contrary to using good words and fair speeches. Fair speeches is the word eulogia, E-U-L-O-G-I-A, from which we get the English word eulogy, what you usually hear after a man is dead and gone, the eulogy. Fair speeches is a eulogy where you lay it on thick, real sensible, and sounds reasonable. And these people are always so sincere. Oh, they're so sincere. Very religious. Like a certain woman who prays every morning at six o'clock facing east. Always real sincere. Prays all the time. Never takes an abundant sharing. Everything is free. That's the word fair speeches. The word deceive means beguile. Doesn't Timothy or some of the epistles talk about Eve being beguiled by the adversary? Is that Timothy? Where? Mary? 2 Corinthians 11.3. Mary, read it. Serpent beguiled Eve through his what? He didn't come right out and say, look, you old woman, what do you believe God for? Why don't you just tell him, go chuck it? He did, But he came along what? Side of, para, alongside of it. And he beguiled her, means he deceived her. Go on. So your mind, if you get beguiled, is going to become what? Corrupted from the simplicity of the word that's in Christ. Boy, that's a beauty. That's fantastic. In the light of Romans 16, 18. Fair speeches. Fair speeches. The old adversary knew what he was doing to Eve, right? Fair speeches, he beguiled, he deceived. He deceived. It's interesting that the word deceit, the Greek word, well, there are two words. The Greek word 
Dolos, D-O-L-O-S. And the word dolos means bait. The bait. Deceit, the bait. Then there's another Greek word, apate, A-P-A-T-E, long E, which is deceit when the bait is taken. <laughs> Dolos is the bait, that's the deceit. It's like a mouse trap. Put the cheese on the trap, that's the dolos. When that old mouse reaches in and takes it, it's apate, the bait taken. Then he's, he's really hooked. This word here in verse 18 is the word apate. It's a false statement, yet it's taken as true. By good words and fair speeches, they do what? The people eat it. It's a false statement, but they take that statement as true. Deceived. I made a note in my notes here, meaning thoroughly deceptive. With their good words and fair speeches, they are thoroughly deceptive. Then I wrote other words I understand, real meanings. People, real meanings. Deceive the hearts of the simple. That word simple is the word akakos, A-K-A-K-O-S. Simple meaning not sufficiently knowledgeable. Or believingly knowledgeable of the integrity and accuracy of the word and thus cannot and some desire not to adhere to the knowledge they do have. That's the word simple. Akakos. The letter A means not. N-O-T. Kakos, K-A-K-O-S, means evil. There's a beautiful translation in Proverbs that I think will really help the core to clarify this in Romans. Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believeth every word. But the prudent man looketh well, carefully, to his going. That's the word simple. Akakos. The simple get hooked. They get trapped. By good words and fair speeches, beguile, deceive the hearts of the simple. The akakos. The simple get hooked. The prudent man, he's sharp. He doesn't get hooked. The simple, they just get trapped by these people who come alongside of the word and say with their 
good words, their wonderful appearance, their great personality, oh, those fair speeches, all of that, the simple get hooked, trapped, because they are not sharp on the word. Because these men, with good words and fair speeches, they say admirable things, and they express themselves beautifully with fine phrases and enticing words. That is the word simple in all of its basic root form. I've done a rather extensive literal according to usage of verse 17 and 18 that sort of communicates to me at least, and I trust it will to the core. Once more I'll read 17 from King James and then I will read you my literal according to usage. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. I translated it, after all of this, thinking in light of now, now, of verse 17. Everything he's done in the book of Romans, God's word. Now after all of this, I imploringly beg you, the word beseech is to implore someone, it's like begging you. I imploringly beg you to be sharp and watch carefully those who just slip in alongside who so lovingly and sincerely start laying groundwork for doubts and rumors, fostering dissension and stumbling blocks. Just a little off color with the true word. Don't let them get away with it. Avoid them. Don't let them get away with it. Me to read it again? After all of this, I imploringly beg you to be sharp and watch carefully those who just slip in alongside who so lovingly and sincerely start laying groundwork for doubts and rumors, fostering dissension and stumbling blocks. Just a little off color with the true word. Don't let them get away with it. Verse 18. For they really are not subject to, nor 
serve in subjection. Our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own selves. That word serve that I gave you earlier is really wonderful in the sense in which I've translated it literally because it has those two great basic truths in it. For they really are not subject to nor serve in subjection. Our Lord Jesus Christ. But their own selves They're tricky and sly. Real smooth talkers. And flattering. But thoroughly deceptive. And will deceive the unlearned. And carry them off as booty if you don't stop them pronto. Once again, for they really are not subject to nor serve in subjection our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own selves. They're tricky and sly, real smooth talkers and flattering, but thoroughly deceptive and will deceive the unlearned and carry them off as booty if you don't stop them pronto. 